her diminutive body yearned vainly for loving dominion. Meanwhile, he himself, the prince, had risen to his feet. The sudden movement of his huge frame made the floor tremble, and a glint of pride flashed in his light blue eyes at this fleeting confirmation of his lordship over both humans and their works. Now he was settling the huge scarlet missile on the chair which had been put in front of him during his recitation of the rosary, putting back the handkerchief on which he had been kneeling, and a touch of irritation clouded his brow as his eye fell on a tiny coffee stain which had had the presumption since that morning to fleck the vast white expanse of his waistcoat. Not that he was fat, just very large and very strong, in houses inhabited by common mortals, his head would touch the lowest rosette on the chandeliers. His fingers could twist a ducat coin as if it were mere paper, and there was constant coming and going between Villa Salina and a silversmith's for the straightening of forks and spoons, which, in some fit of controlled rage at table, he had coiled into a hoop. But those fingers could also stroke and knead with the most exquisite delicacy, as his wife, Maria Stella, knew to her cost. While up in his private observatory at the top of the house, the gleaming screws, caps and studs of telescopes, lenses and comet finders seemed inviolate beneath his gentle manipulations. The rays of the westering sun, still high on that May afternoon, lit up the prince's rosy hue and honey-coloured skin. These betrayed the German origin of his mother, the Princess Carolina, whose haughtiness had frozen the easy-going court of the two Sicilies thirty years before. But in his blood also fermented other German strains, particularly disturbing to a Sicilian aristocrat in the year 1860, however attractive his fair skin and hair amid all that olive and black an authoritarian temperament, a certain rigidity of morals, and a propensity for abstract ideas. These, in the relaxing atmosphere of Palermo society, had changed respectively into capricious arrogance, recurring moral scruples, and contempt for his own relatives and friends, all of whom seemed to him mere driftwood in the languid, meandering stream of Sicilian pragmatism. In a family which for centuries had been incapable even of adding up their own expenditure and subtracting their own debts, he was the first, and last, to have a genuine bent for mathematics. This he had applied to astronomy, and by his work gained a certain official recognition and a great deal of personal pleasure. In his mind now, pride and mathematical analysis were so linked as to give him an illusion that the stars obeyed his calculations too, as in fact they seemed to be doing, and that the two small planets which he had discovered, Salina and Speedy, he had called them, after his main estate and a shooting dog he had been particularly fond of, would spread the fame of his family throughout the empty spaces between Mars and Jupiter, thus transforming the frescoes in the villa from the adulatory to the prophetic. Between the pride and intellectuality of his mother and the sensuality and irresponsibility of his father, poor Prince Fabrizio lived in perpetual discontent under his Jove-like frown, watching the ruin of his own class and his own inheritance without ever making, still less wanting to make, any move towards saving it. That half-hour between rosary and dinner 
was one of the least irritating moments of his day, and for hours beforehand he would savour its rather uncertain calm. With a wildly excited Bendico bounding ahead of him, he went down the short flight of steps into the garden. Enclosed between three walls and a side of the house, its seclusion gave it the air of a cemetery, accentuated by the parallel little mounds bounding the irrigation canals and looking like the graves of very tall, very thin giants. Plants were growing in thick disorder on the reddish clay. Flowers sprouted in all directions, and the myrtle hedges seemed put there to prevent movement rather than guide it. At the end, a statue of Flora, speckled with yellow-black lichen, exhibited her centuries-old charms with an air of resignation. On each side were benches holding quilted cushions also of grey marble.